Kaya FM 95.9. Sidebar every Monday to Thursday from 7 to 8 p.m. on Kaya FM 95.9. Welcome to Sidebar Cindy with me, Dr. Cindy C.A. Fansel. Tonight at Metropolitan's, we have a doctor's appointment and we're going to be discussing COVID-19. We're doing a health check-in with health workers to find out what is happening on the ground in South Africa as we face our second wave of COVID-19. Sidebar with Dr. Cindy on Kaya FM 95.9. Welcome to Sidebar Cindy with me, Cindy Spiefansale. There's a doctor's appointment tonight at Repolitans and we decided to do a show um, to find out what's happening with COVID-19 on the ground. And I'll be speaking to two medical doctors. I'll be speaking to Dr. Chandra Bali. She's from the South African Medical Association. And she's also a general practitioner based in Centurion. So she works in a practice that runs for 24 hours. And um, they have been extremely busy, Afropolitans. And Chandra will be filling us in on that. And also just giving some background and information on how the South African Medical Association is, is dealing with COVID-19. Later on in the show... I'll be joined by Dr. Colin Pfaff. He's from the um, um, the medical, uh, the, the Doctors Without Borders, Médecins Sans Frontières. And he'll be telling us what Doctors Without Borders has been doing on the ground, helping out, because they always help out in time of crisis. And we do know, Afropolitans, that we are now in a major crisis. Um, you know, the second wave is upon us. And with people coming back from their different homes, people coming back to work in Gauteng, we are going to see a rise in numbers. And this is why I suppose um, the president will be addressing us at 8 p.m. tonight. So do make sure that at 8 o'clock tonight, you are listening to what President Cyril Ramaphosa will have to say to us um, after they had their meeting regarding COVID-19. I'll be taking your calls on 86 0009 and the hashtags on social media are sidebar Cindy and Kayafing Talk. So before I start taking your calls, I'd like to welcome Dr. Chandre Bali to the show. Chandre, thank you so much for joining us on Sidebar, Cindy. Cindy, thank you very much for having me. I'd also like to thank your listeners for listening in on the show. Um, have a yes. How are you? No, I'm good. I'm glad that um, you know we're having this show. I think it's it's important for us to keep checking in on what's happening with COVID nineteen. Um, you you can't you can't to have too many shows about it. Um, I, I don't think, even if we were to have a show every day of this week to do with COVID-19, there's always still something else for, for someone to learn. And um, it's important to, for us to keep reminding ourselves of the basics and how we can continue to curb the infection rate. Um, Chandra, I think let's speak about your practice before we start speaking about the South African Medical Association. I think one of the hardest things to, to control um, has been um, access to, to practices, especially a GP practice, because the GPs, the general practitioners are the first port of call for most people. So my son fell and he cut his, he cut his chin and I took him to a practice and, um, they were very strict. We got there. Um, we, um, so, so they're only allowed two people in at a time. So my daughter sat outside and I went in with my son. And then when he went in for suturing, my daughter went to them and I just sat outside. And, you know, initially, obviously I was like, what do you mean I can't, you know, only two of us can come in at a time? I mean, this is my child and I brought both of them. We must both go in. But the practice manager came and asked me very nicely and said, we're trying to minimize the number of people coming in and out of the practice. So yes, I understand how you feel, but please kindly, um, you know, sit outside and only two of you can come in at a time. And those, those changes, Chandra, have been very difficult to implement. Um, but I think for the most part, um, patients have been very understanding. So in your practice, what changes have you had to implement to ensure that, um, you keep, you know, the infection rates and, and the spread of COVID-19 down? 
Okay, so my practice is a very large practice. Um, we are open 24 hours. So what we do, we set up tents in our parking lot, um, like um, almost like field hospital tents, where if a patient comes in, they come into our practice. Before they come into our practice, they get screened. So we ask them basic questions. And if they have any symptom that may be related to COVID, it's not necessary to say that they have COVID, they're seen in the, the tents the field tents outside. If you're coming in just to get a repeat script, you'll come inside the practice, the practice will see you. Where the patients are seen outside or inside the practice, they still get quality care. The doctor will assess them. We see all our patients. So we will see you, assess you, and the doctor will decide whether you warrant a COVID test or not, whether you need other um, medical care. We also only allow, we only allow one patient in, except if it's a minor, then we allow the patient and a parent in. So, so these are the strict protocols that we have set up for our practice to try and minimize the spread and also to ensure um, the proper physical distancing and things like that. We also don't allow patients who don't have masks inside our practice and we ensure that um, hand sanitizing is done all the time. And, and, and between patients, yeah. we also um, sanitize the rooms. After every patient, we sanitize all our rooms. We clean all the equipment and everything like that. So I've, I mean, I've seen, you and I are friends. We were in the same university, we were in the same class. And I've seen, you know, you know, your pictures on, on WhatsApp. You are kitted out in full PPE every single day, Chandra. Yes. I call it my suiting up in my blue because it's mostly blue. So that's what I wear. We both, when we go outside and we're in the tents, that's what we wear. We wear our PPE kits. It's, I know it's, it's, an, it's, alarming for patients at the beginning the patients were very frightened so they're very anxious about it but it's to it's to protect the patient and the doctor and because these the doctors and our staff as well that we have this um protocol involved so we are kitted out in blue or i call it blue and it does take a lot of time because we have to take it on and off all the time but it's there for the patient's safety and in terms of the the comforts how 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 comfortable is it to be in PPE all day? How uncomfortable is it? Do you sweat? You know, explain that to the Afropolitans. It is very uncomfortable. I get some days, even though we've taken measures, we've got sprinklers on by our tents to make it a little bit cooler for the doctors and the patient. It is very uncomfortable. The one day, one of my colleagues was complaining that he because he was seeing patients. To, um, he was seeing patients and then the sweat started to run down into his eyes. And now you can't rub your face because you mm. keep it in PPE. You've got the face mask over. You can't rinse your eyes because you're busy with the patient. It's very uncomfortable. When you're kitted in that PPE, you can't eat. You can't drink. You, you can't, can't go, go to, to the, the bathroom. bathroom. Yes, you can't go to oh the bathroom. Goodness, so, um, yes. So, yeah. So, usually it is. So that if you want to go to the bathroom and anything like that, you have to take off all your PPE, go to run to the bathroom and come back. And do you change into new PPE when you come back to start working again? Yes, new clean PPE and everything like that. Cost. Okay, so let's talk about this. Be realistic. We, you know, everything costs money. Um, are you are you funding your own PPE or is is it is, is the practice paying for for the PPE? We're and I'm in a fortunate situation that the practice that I work at is paying for my PPE. So yeah. And do you have any idea how much um, um, PPE costs? Um, you know, because you are wearing, I see that you wear a face shield, and you wear an N95 mask, and then you wear everything else. Yeah. How much does it cost to to kit out in one set of of, of PPE? I have honestly, I have no idea. Okay. I do know medical aids do reimburse us, but I don't think it's anything near to what some medical aids reimburse us. But it's not near to what the cost is. An N95 mask can cost anything from. 
44 rand, depending on when you get it, to 100 rand per mask. So it is quite expensive, and that's the mask that we wear to make sure that we keep ourselves safe. And medical aid, some medical aid, reimburse the doctors 37 rand with practice, 37 rand for the PPE. Oh eight six double zero double zero nine five nine Afropolitans. As you can hear, I'm speaking to Dr. Chandra Bali. We're having a doctor's appointment, and we thought it would be important to check in on healthcare workers who are on the ground every day, um, working um, to make sure that they're helping patients who think they may have COVID nineteen, helping patients with COVID nineteen, and and just basically making sure that everything keeps going during this very difficult time. The one thing that Dr. Bali has mentioned, Afropolitans, is that any patient with flu symptoms. Right is is seen outside their practice in a, in a special tent that has been set up for that. And I think the important thing here is that flu symptoms, as far as I'm concerned, are COVID-19 until proven otherwise. And I think this is what has been a difficult message to to relay, that if you have the sniffs or the snivels or, you know, you, you're not feeling well and you think you might be coming down with a blocked nose and so on, you need to exclude COVID-19. And and, and, and Dr. Bali, I think this is what this is what is, is worrisome, is that people are developing flu symptoms and um, just treating them like a normal flu and not actually going to check for COVID or isolating. I think that is concerning. I think people should be aware that the symptoms of COVID are very broad. I've had patients that have just had a blocked nose and then they've had COVID. And the problem is you might just have your blocked nose and after a few days it gets better. But you would have spread it to other family members or friends or, or colleagues that can that end up in hospital with their COVID. So we need to, if you have any flu-like symptoms or any symptom of COVID, the first thing you do is you isolate until you can go and see a doctor. And if you decide before whatever reason, like due to costs and things like that, that you cannot go see a doctor, then you isolate for at least 10 days. Uh, just to note that all state clinics offer free COVID testing. Just need to make that. And, um, and the cash COVID testing, I know that Lancet Labs um, and Empath are testing for around 850 rand. Initially, it was over 1,000 rand, but it's come down to 850. I yes. don't think it has gone down um, below that for now. For now, it's still 850. All the labs, they've set a standard price by um, Lancet, Ampath, Caspaske, all charge 850 for the test. And But it, they are free testing at all government clinics if you have symptoms. 86 959 If you have any questions about COVID-19, Afropolitans, do call in. We have two doctors on the show. We have um, Dr. Chandra Bali, a general practitioner based in Centurion, and she's also a member of the South African uh, Medical Association, SAMA. And we'll be speaking a bit about that after the break and just finding out um, what SAMA is doing in terms of helping doctors on the ground with regards to COVID-19. Later on in the show, we'll be joined by a doctor from Doctors Without Borders, Dr. Colin Pfeff, and he'll be telling us what they've been doing um, to help the country with with their response to COVID-19. Um, Dr. Bali, the changing symptoms of COVID-19, um, I think initially, last year, um, last year this time, it was dry cough, it was fever, um, and I think it, must have been, it was headache, and then sense of loss of smell came into it, loss of taste came into it, and now more recently, diarrhea is one of the symptoms um, of COVID-19. Um, yeah, so, so in your practice, because people were under the impression that there was a tummy bug going around, and I said, if you have diarrhea, you need to exclude COVID-19. So in your practice, have you seen a rise in the number of patients um, presenting with diarrhea? I think we've seen a rise of patients with yeah diarrhea or even nausea. 
people forget nausea can be a symptom of COVID and vomiting. So any, because it's a, it's a viral infection and virus can cause like flu, um, t- tummy bug symptoms. So if you've got any tummy bug symptoms, you should keep COVID, um, COVID in the back of your mind. I, my slogan, is, if a patient comes in, it's COVID until proven otherwise, irrespective of what symptom the patient has. We have to keep that in the back of our mind. It's not to say that they have COVID, they could be anything else, but we need to keep that in the back of their mind. The other thing as well, um, um, Dr. Barley, is that the, the, you know, when you test is actually very important. So if you test too early, the test can come out negative. If you test too late, then you've missed it and it could come out negative as well. So that's why it's, you know, if, if you are going to test, you must test when you develop the symptoms. If you decide not to test and you know that you have symptoms, then you must stay at home and isolate for at least 10 days so that you're not, you're not infectious. Cause we know that the infectious period ends after about 10 days. And, and this is something for you Afropolitans to remember that the reason why it's 10 days is because after 10 days, we know that you're not shedding as much virus as you were at the beginning and you're less likely to to infect um, other people. Um, let's just speak about um, how how COVID-19 has affected chronic patients, um, Dr. Barley. I mean, I know that, you know, with the work that I do, I primarily see patients who are HIV positive. Um, you know, during hard lockdown, um, quite a few patients would not go to the laboratory to have their bloods done. And I had to be very harsh and say to them, well, I can't renew your prescription until I've seen blood results. And I didn't, I did not enjoy having to be that harsh, but I, I felt that it would, it would not be right. Certainly it wouldn't go according to protocol if I renewed a prescription having not seen your latest blood results. So have you found that chronic patients have been reluctant to come in for checkups because they're afraid of, of, of contracting COVID-19? I think um, chronic patients, because they're more at risk to get comorbidities, they are reluctant. But you know, we have to explain to patients, if you have a chronic condition, such as diabetes, you'll need to come in and see your doctor. The doctor needs to make sure that your, medic- your chronic condition is well controlled. Because if your con- chronic condition is well controlled, your, 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 the risk of complications from COVID is that of the, to the general population. So if you have a chronic condition, take your medication regularly. Go see your doctor every six months. Do your blood tests. I know it's scary out there because um, you, the, this per, the patient with the chronic condition is scared that they're going to get COVID and they're going to end up in hospital. And you don't want to do that. But you still need to t- look after yourself. I think that's the most important thing. That's the one thing that um, COVID has taught us is that we need to l- be more stricter with our chronic patients. Mm. That We need to look at their numbers, make sure that the blood pressure is well controlled, make sure that the viral load is undetectable, make sure that the, di- the, uh, the blood glucose levels is within a t- good target range. So that we can protect them from complications of COVID. 86 is the number to call if you have any questions about COVID-19 for Dr. Chandra Bali, a general practitioner based in Centurion and also a member of the South African Medical Association. So, Chandra, so we have a patient that's come through um, and, and they, they're quite ill. And you, you feel that this is, this is COVID-19 and this patient must be referred to a medical, uh, for, to, a, to a hospital for further medical care. Um, just what are the steps that are, are taken um, when the ambulances arrive? What, what kind of precautions are um, they taking to make sure that the patient gets transported safely without, without um, endangering their lives? Um, what kind of precautions are being taken at the moment? Okay, so what we do is we have a patient that has severe symptoms and we suspect that they have COVID. We would call the ambulance and we'll tell them we have a, a PUI, a person under investigation, mm-hmm. so that when they come, they know they have to get kitted up and everything like that. We also call ahead to the hospitals because our hospitals are overwhelmed at this point in time. Yes. We don't, 
we called the hospital and say, listen, um, I'm calling from Medi- I'm calling from my practice. I want to know if you have a bed available for a patient that we suspect has COVID. And they will tell us yes or no. And then if they say no, we call the next hospital until we find a hospital that has a bed available. So when the ambulance gets here, we will say, we spoke to Dr. A at this hospital. They've accepted this patient. This patient can go across to the hospital. The ambulance, the paramedics will get here. They will, before they see the patient, they will put on their PP get suited from head to toe, Mm -hmm. then they will assess the patient, they will transport the patient into the ambulance to the hospital. And in the unfortunate event that there isn't a bed, what then happens? Because, um, you know, I I have a a close friend um, who was looking to transfer... Her, her, uh, a relative of hers from one facility to another facility, and the other facility did not have any beds, and so they had to wait and wait until until something happened. So, what what happens if there are no beds, um, Doctor Bali? Um, Cindy, what we our doctors do in the practice that we work on, we look for a bed. We'll be on the phone if it has to be, and it has happened this past two weeks that we've been on the phone for an hour to find a bed for patients. But if there are no, okay, so. So if there's no bed, what happened? I mean, no beds. If we can't find a bed, then we'll have to discuss with the state if they have a bed. The the in the, the premier of um, Houting mentioned today that they're increasing the bed capacity of Nazareth. So that is the final option that we have. So if we have no private beds, then we'll probably send them. If there are no private hospital beds available, then we'll send the patient to state. And luckily, hopefully, in the next two days, the capacity of Nazareth will be increased. Um, so that the, that they will have beds. Some hospitals have, um, some private hospitals have also set up little field hospitals. So if a patient only needs oxygen for a few days, they will be seen in the parking lot, given oxygen for a few days, and then taken into, if, it, if they deteriorate, get taken into the hospital or discharged. Mm. And does your practice have a facility that you wouldn't ventilate at your practice? No, we're not okay. in, we're not a casualty or anything like that. We can intubate and then we'll manually bag mask if needed. And we have oxygen, but we have limited oxygen. So it's, we are yet to stabilize the critical patients and then send them off to hospital. So we have a question from Twitter. Pumlangwenya says, diarrhea and nausea have always been um, symptoms though. Are there any new symptoms that we need to be on the lookout for with regards to COVID-19? I think the newest symptom that I've seen is blocked nose. Mm. In the beginning, we didn't really see blocked nose or runny nose with COVID. Now that is a new symptom. Definitely blocked nose congestion can be a symptom of COVID. And this is really confusing because for people who have sinus um, problems, um, they could attribute that to, you know, flowers or pollen and so on. And back at the ranch, they actually have COVID and they're not aware of it. Yes. So I would say if you're taking your meds and you notice that you're not feeling the same, then you're taking your sinus medication and you're not feeling the same, have, have a doctor check you out. Go for the COVID test and let's just make sure because you don't want to be spreading it, the virus to people that whose immune systems are weaker, that whose bodies cannot fight this virus that end up in hospital. We'll continue this conversation after this break. I'm Dr. Bali. When I come back, I think I'd like to speak about um, the work that the South African Medical Association is doing and, and also a bit about the interns on the ground and, and just how they've been training under these circumstances. But we'll be back after this. Every Monday to Thursday from 7 to 8 p.m. on Kaya FM 95.9. 
Welcome back to Sidebot, Cindy, with me, Cindy Swift-Fansale. It is a doctor's appointment, Afropolitans, and tonight we decided to focus on healthcare workers and COVID-19 and healthcare workers that are on the ground, frontliners, um, and just how they're coping with everything. My guest at the moment is Dr. Chandra Bali. She's a general practitioner based in a 24-hour practice in Centurion, and she's also a member of the South African Medical Association. Um, around half past seven, we'll be joined by Dr. Colin Pfeff. He's a medical doctor, and he works with Doctors Without Borders, and he's a medical coordinator um, for the you know for the um, COVID-19 intervention so I'm looking forward to hearing um, what MSF Doctors Without Borders has been doing in South Africa and of course around the continent with regards to COVID-19 it's important to have a politics for us to keep having this conversation we have an aim and the aim is to contain the spread of COVID-19 so we have to continue wearing our face masks we need to continue social distancing we need to continue our hand washing and obviously in the absence of hand washing we have to use um, hand sanitizer so Dr. Bali let's speak about um, the side African Medical Association. What is your role there? And of course, I want to know um, what's happening with the interns that are currently training in the system. Okay, so I'm with the Medi- South African Medical Association. I'm I'm just the treasurer of the Housing North branch, so I'm not actively involved with the interns or anything like that. But in to prepare myself for this conversation, I did speak to interns currently that are on the ground that are working with COVID and everything like that. So what's happened to interns, especially the first year interns, their rotations got shorter so that they could do a block in COVID, that they had to do a COVID rotation. So, um, so yes, so they had to give one, I think it's one or two weeks per rotation where they have four rotations, they have four, three big major rotations in the first year and it got shortened so they could do, rotate through COVID. A lot of interns, um, the interns that I've spoken to, they have both pros and cons about COVID and everything like that. Mm. They, for their pros about COVID was that they got to exp- got early exposure to ICU. As an intern, you're not, you don't go into ICU. Uh, no, you ICU. don't. Yes. So now with COVID, they were exposed to that. They were exposed to um, using high-flow oxygen, CTAPs, and invasive ventilations and everything like that. Whereas the the downside of COVID was that they had less exposure to trauma, especially during the Mm. hard lockdown and everything like that. Also, what happened during what's happening now in a lot of hospitals, they've cancelled elective surgeries, they've cancelled their outpatients, and these were opportunities for interns to learn. So, a lot of interns right now, because of the, they've got less exposure to common surgical procedures because of COVID and everything like that. But their take-home message is that they've learned a lot. I mean, they've learned about how to manage. I mean, they, one intern told me, you know what, he's the, there are very few interns, like doctors that can say they did their internship during a, a global pandemic. Yeah. We can't say that, Cindy. You, Cindy and I, we, you, the two of us can't say that. But these interns can actually say that. That they've learned to work through hard times. I mean, this is uncertain times. It's pressurized times. You're learning yeah. to cope. And with that, it also le- the, what the doctors have le- are learning is how to be... Um, more as a team to work in this pressurizing environment. You, you, you're working more as a unit right now. The interns are saying they're closer to their peers and seniors that they would have been if it, if it hadn't been for COVID. That's as a so positive true. side. That is so true. And, and I think, um, you know, the one thing that we also need to, um, to, to, to remember is, is that the, the mental health aspect of COVID-19, Chandra, I mean, you've, you've done a great job of keeping us uh, on WhatsApp up to date with what's happening. Um, you know, you, you send messages of encouragement on an almost daily basis because you, you understand, um, how, 
a global pandemic and just seeing death and despair around you every day can wear you down. So I, for one, appreciate those messages that you sent because you're telling us to hang in there. It's going to be okay. Let's just keep at it. Um, what 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 is being done for for doctors on the ground in terms of um, helping them just you know navigate this this very uncertain time? It is very uncertain times. I mean, lots of doctors don't know what's going to be future. I mean, there's rumors in the in the state going around that the young doctors don't know if they have jobs in the future because the money that is now being spent on COVID, there's no money in the future for them. Will they be able to specialize in this country? So those are the uncertainties. But I think we will cope. We will get through this. I mean, we need to be um, the the SADC Association come together with the Health Workers Kenya to have set up a um, free um, psychiatric yeah. um, mental health care awareness for doctors and not just for doctors for all healthcare workers to help them if they get stressed and anxious and everything like that uh, if you get anxious or stressed and stuff like that I think if you are anxious um, I know I could leave for a bit and when I had to come back to work last week Monday I was a little bit anxious mm. so I had to center myself talk to my colleagues and friends just to make myself aware that you know what it's going to be okay this, it is stressful num- times. The numbers are going up. We've seen people the, in the hospitals. They see um, funeral cars lining up to collect the, the, the bodies of the dead. But we need to stay positive. We need to know that at the end of this, we will get through this. As a nation, as a continent, we mm-hmm. will get through this. And we need to support one another. And if you feel anxious to do something that you enjoy, dance, spend her family time, um, do gardening, hiking, and all that stuff. Um, for me personally, I am also to get my mind off COVID and everything like that. I'm studying at the moment, and even though it's a, I'm doing a degree through FPD, um, yes. a higher certificate in practice management, and it takes my time. It, when I have these assignments to do, it takes my time, my mind off COVID, so that I'm more relaxed and everything like that. And in in terms of. Um like, do you feel guilty, Chandra, when you're not at work? Um, you know, because downtime for, for, for healthcare workers isn't always easy. You, you're, you're resting. You're physically away from work, but your brain is still there. You're wondering if everyone is fine. Are they coping? Do they need extra hands? Were you able to take leave properly and just shut down your mind? Uh, Cindy, when the messages came through that they needed doctors, I felt like I should go. But I'm, I'm, I told myself, you know what, Sandra, you haven't really taken a proper leave the entire year. You need these 10 days. It's no use that you go there and you're not, I'm, I'm not mentally ready and I'm exhausted and everything like that. And my patients and my colleagues have seen a difference. They were like, you know what, you needed that break. You really needed it. Mm. Um, and it, it was good. You're more energized now. I'm more excited. I'm, I can do my work better. So if I, I know there was talk about cancelling leave for healthcare workers, but I think doctors, need, doctors, nurses, all healthcare professionals, if they need the leave, they must take the leave, even if we're in a pandemic. It's important to look after yourself because if you're empty... Um, you can't help. There's no use, uh, you know, you wearing yourself into the ground. You have no use to, to patients. But if you take a break and you come back energized, you're able to help. That's Dr. Shandre Bali, Afropolitan's GP based in Centurion and also a member of the South African Medical Association, just sharing, you know, her insights, um, and, and what's been happening in her practice and how they've, they've adapted to COVID-19 and, and how they, they're helping people. Shandre, there's a question from Sepati on, on Twitter and she says, I just heard Dr. Bali say that nose congestion and runny nose are symptoms that they're seeing. Two days ago, I was sneezing nonstop, followed up by uh, being super runny. I took Benilin for flu. Um, what's difficult for me is having to distinguish between whether I have COVID or if this isn't something to worry about because I get flu symptoms before my period. And I think the message that you said that you gave is that, you know, 
everything is COVID until proven otherwise. Exactly. Everything is COVID until proven otherwise. It, um, it's, it's a message that we were taught in, in, in varsity. Um, all women are pregnant until proven otherwise. All, all pregnancies are topics in, in, until proven otherwise. This is to pre- prevent us from making mistakes as doctors. So my slogan in my head is everyone has COVID until proven otherwise. So if you're concerned about your runny nose or sneezing, and it's, or you just, if you ha- regularly have runny nose and sneezing before your period, but you're feeling off, you know, this is not the same runny nose and sneezing that I usually get, mm. then, go for, then go for a COVID test. And, you know, I mean, you know, as you, as you said earlier on as well, Dr. Bali, that testers, tests are offered at, um, you know, private pathology labs and also in the public sector. So, you know, if, you, if you're wanting it for free, you can have it done at a public sector facility. And obviously, if you're going to pay, then you can have it done at a private pathology 850 across all the labs. And then um, uh, medical aid also pays. But for medical aid, you'll need a referral from a doctor. And you must make sure that your doctor uses the correct code for COVID so that they can pay. But, um, Dr. Bali, is the medical aid paying only if the test comes back positive? Or are they paying for all tests now? Okay, so the medical aid, um, COVID is a P&B condition, so that is a prescribed minimum benefit condition. The guidelines from the College of the, um, the Council of Medical Schemes is you have to fit the NICD criteria. So you can't um, rock up at a doctor and say, I want a COVID test, and you have no symptoms. Your medical aid is not going to pay for that test. Each medical aid has set up guidelines and rules of when they will pay for the test and what you have to do. I know certain medical aids, you have to first complete a questionnaire on online or on their app. And if they say, yes, you can go for the test mm-hmm. and you go for the test, whether it's positive or negative, they will pay for it. So you need to make sure that you know the rules of your medical aid. Okay. So, okay. So that's, that's a bit difficult because I mean, some people might test outside of the symptoms because they need to travel. So what yes. happens then? So for traveling, the medical aid does not pay for it. I see. So they only pay for symptomatic and um, and, and then, oh gosh, Chandra, medical aids are problematic. Yeah, because that is what the guidelines say. So the, gui- the NICD guidelines says we test if you have symptoms. So if you want to go testing for travel purposes or you're going for a pre-op, they'll, they might test if your, res- they might pay for it if your result comes out positive. But if your result is negative, you must be aware that they, they might not pay for it. I'm not going to say that all medical aids don't pay for the, your, the COVID quiz. I'm saying patients need to be informed. They need to be, to do their research. So you need to take responsibility for your health and your medical aid. Know when your medical aid is going to pay for the COVID test and when it's not going to pay for it. So that you don't have to end up paying for it out of pocket so it doesn't go from your savings or anything like that. Because right now, COVID test, if you meet the criteria for the NICD guidelines, it comes out of your risk benefit. 86 Um Ulili on Twitter says, I've seen a number of people present with what they describe as the worst headache ever. No other symptoms. They're usually so shocked when the admission test comes back positive um, because they think they're okay as far as COVID is concerned. And, and look, and I think we're learning as we go along. And this is why um, we, we're not going to, um, you know, stop having shows about COVID because every day there's something new and it's important for us as healthcare practitioners to educate you so that you know what to expect. We have Dr. Colin um, Pfeff on the line. Thank you so much, Dr. Colin, for joining us. Um, you are from the medical, um, the MSF, Médecins Sans Frontières, Doctors Without Borders, and you're the medical coordinator um, for the, um, you know, the, the, the COVID intervention. Um, so I know you're very busy. I'm very happy to have you on our show. 
Yes, good evening, uh, Cindy, and evening to your listeners. So I think just for the sake of the Afropolitans, um, Dr. Colin, um, could you tell us what um, Doctors Without Borders does? Uh, well, Doctors Without Borders is an international medical humanitarian organization that responds to disasters and crises around the world. We've been in South Africa for 20 years and um, probably are best known for the work uh, with HIV and drug-resistant TB. We were amongst the first groups to start antiretroviral 20 years ago. Mm. But recently, we've been supporting the uh, health system in their response to COVID. And I mean, you, I mean, Dr. Colin, I mean, you, you are well known. We, we know you. I know you. I, I have a very special interest in HIV and I know that the work, you, of all the work that you've done, um, you have a soft spot for the prevention of mother to child transmission program. And, um, you know, a lot of your activism has made the program what it is um, today. And, um, so you, um, have you been able to, to use, um, you know, lessons, um, from the response to HIV for COVID-19? Well, I, I think uh, Médecins Sans Frontières as an organization has a strong value on advocacy, which um, uh, uh, which probably was quite well demonstrated during the early uh, HIV years, as you uh, alluded to. Um, and I, I think the, the track record that the organization has in terms of advocacy and filling in gaps in the health system has, um, has also, as you said, proven very useful and enabled us to be agile in this uh, latest uh, COVID response. So in terms of the work that you do um, day to day, how has your work been impacted by COVID-19? Well, I can say it's been impacted in in two ways. I mean, uh, largely we are running uh, or supporting uh, innovative HIV and TB programs um, in uh, four projects in the country the biggest ones being in KwaZulu-Natal and in Kailicha. Mm-hmm. And they were, along with most HIV and particularly TB programs in the country, were quite severely disrupted by the first COVID wave. But, um, which we could maybe discuss a bit more if you wanted to, but I think maybe what's more interesting to the specific call is the specific responses that we have made to um, the COVID-19 crisis itself. Uh, which again was slightly different in the first wave to now the second wave. In the first wave, we were we had our own field hospital in Kailiche. It was a converted sports hall where we had 60 beds and was running for for two months. Mm-hmm. Uh, now in the second wave, as the uh, as you know, the epicenter started in the Eastern Cape, particularly in the Nelson Mandela Bay yes. metro. So we had a team of about 15 people there that were working uh, in Livingston Hospital, enabling the hospital to open uh, more ward space in the hospital that was had been purposely built for COVID, but they hadn't been able to open it due to lack of staff. Yeah. And we were also supporting a field hospital there. As of um, 10 days ago, we moved that team, most of that team, um, back to Cape Town to support the opening of another field hospital in Mitchell's Plain in the repurposed facilities in the Lentechir um, Hospital. So we have, um, I think we have 12 staff there at the moment. So they're now 10 days into that operation. And this week we are in the process of assembling a team to go to KwaZulu-Natal to do similar support, similar field hospitals in KwaZulu-Natal. So I think what we're seeing in many parts of the country that uh, there is physical infrastructure that's available and even um, oxygenated 
uh, beds that are available in many facilities, but the real bottleneck is lack of staff. Mm. And so we try to um, provide an emergency response by having uh, teams of of staff, relatively small teams of staff that can be deployed for relatively short periods of time, maybe mm. four weeks, six weeks, eight weeks. And that's enough to get these um, facilities through the peak of that second wave. And then the staff can move on to the next facility that's sort of uh, in crisis. And, and Dr. Colin, in terms of um, just keeping everyone mentally strong, um, what, is, what does MSF do for, for their teams? Yeah, that's a good question, both in terms of our long-term HIV and TB teams and also these um, short-term teams. And in particular, what um, is an effect on that is when staff themselves get infected. So it's not just about the trauma that they're sort of seeing on a day-to-day basis and it is quite traumatic, I think, seeing um, patients pass away that you sort of have been caring for and maybe some of the deaths are a bit unexpected. Some of the deaths are in patients that maybe are younger, you are bit, uh, not, not really expecting this patient to do badly. So I think that is quite traumatic mm. um, for, for many people. Um, but then there's also the additional trauma of, of your own colleagues or maybe even yourself um, becoming um positive and even becoming symptomatic. Mm. So, yeah, we have tried to provide mental health support in the workplace through counseling, both online counseling or phone-based counseling, and also some staff wellness um, activities within the programs that are various um, in-building activities or activities that are sort of designed to relieve stress uh, in the workplace. But I think that's much harder to do in sort of these short-term teams that are being deployed um, especially in, in places that are outside of our field of uh, operations, like yeah. the intervention we did in Nelson Mandela Bay. Uh, we were all living in one uh, rented accommodation in a, in a hotel complex in town. The, the whole city was under lockdown. And so, yeah, it certainly was not easy to provide, um, you know, mental health support to the team in that, in that period. The, you know, PPE um, has, you know, has been on everyone's um, lips. We're fully aware of the PPE, you know, tender scandals and so on, and the PPE shortages in some of the facilities. Um, is is um, Doctors Without Borders um, able to bring PPE in from outside and, and supply to facilities? Um, yes, we, we're certainly able to do that in terms of um, supply chain and logistics. Uh, in the first wave when we were running our own field hospital in Kailicha, um, indeed, that's what we did. We did direct procurement of our own PPE. Um, the hospital was sort of uh, the day-to-day operations were completely under MSF. But in the second wave, in these three, three sort of um, provinces where we've been assisting, um, we have not needed to do that. There's been adequate supplies of, of PPE um, in all our interventions in Port Elizabeth, there was actually more than enough PPE again in Town, and we've yet to really test that completely in KwaZulu-Natal. But uh, it seems that with the second wave, uh, the PPE stock, um, certainly in the facilities where we're working, are, are, have been quite adequate. So one of the other questions that keeps on coming up um, is, is around how long a person can spend 
in a, in a, in an N95 mask or in a surgical mask. And it's interesting when, because these questions are usually asked by lay people. And, and I mean, we know as medical doctors that, you know, surgeons spend and, and theater nurses and theater assistants spend the whole day in surgical masks and they can, and they can breathe quite fine. Um, you know, when, when, when that question comes up, um, what's the best way to, to answer it? Especially to allay people's fears um, around having to wear a mask all day. Mm. Honestly, we haven't had uh, we haven't had that issue really come up with our own team. I think um, possibly when you're working in a in sort of a, a very direct frontline COVID situation, you know, our teams are are working in dedicated COVID wards or COVID field hospitals, which is possibly a bit different to a more general space like an outpatient setting or a general medical ward where you're not really sure um, who is there, the, the so-called PUIs, people under investigation. But I think for staff who are working in, in, in wards where, the, where all of the patients are known um, are known to be COVID positive, um, you know, they obviously they're very motivated to make use of PPE, to make mm-hmm. use of masks and uh, we haven't really sort of had to address maybe people's reluctance or concerns to wear masks. Um, yeah, I, I think as you know, the department has put out fairly, fairly clear guidelines as to when to use a surgical mask and when an N95 mask mm. uh, needs to be used. And I think we found quite good acceptance with that. And if our staff are on eight-hour shifts, we are need because of sort of not just the mask, but I mean the whole PPE itself is... Um, quite restrictive, I think, and I think the COVID uh, field hospital environment is quite intense that um, we are not running staff shifts um, as, say, a normal um, internal medicine ward would operate in a typical uh, hospital, but we we have tended to put people on shifts, so they're usually on eight-hour shifts, which okay. often would they be shorter than, say, a 24-hour around-the-clock night shift. Okay, that's great. And, and so, people get to rest in between. Yeah, so I think for an eight-hour shift, you know, obviously with some breaks in between, most people are, are content to to use masks. And the other advantage of a dedicated um, COVID space is, um, you know, the, the so-called donning and doffing areas are, are, are quite well organized. And the, you know, how to remove PPE if you want to take a break is, is actually quite safe. I think they're... I think in the more general areas of the hospital, that line sometimes is a bit more difficult to negotiate, but mm. maybe less clear as to how risky are, say, the outpatient department or maybe the general wards or even the operating theatre itself. So. Okay, well, I'm I'm looking forward to continuing this conversation after this break. And when I do right, come right. back, Dr. Colin, I just want to ask a question about um, admission, um, you know, uh, ventilation, you know, uh, patients that just need oxygen, patients that need CPAP, patients that need ventilation, just the differences between the three the three um, things that Afropolitans have an idea of what happens if someone is admitted um, after, you know, after being diagnosed with COVID and it, it's seen to be serious. But we'll be continuing this conversation after this. Sidebar every Monday to Thursday from 7 to 8 p.m. on Kaya FM 95.9. Welcome back to the last part of Sidebar with Cindy with me, Cindy Sue Francel. I'm still talking to Dr. Colin Pfeff from Doctors Without Borders and to Dr. Chandra Bali from a, G- a GP based in Centurion and also a member of the South African Medical Association. So, Dr. Colin, as I said before the break, um, I just wanted you to um, you know, just explain to the Afropolitans, um, you know, if someone does get, have to get admitted with COVID-19, 
um, what the treatment protocols are for different stages of the severity of COVID-19. Yes, okay. Thanks, um, Cindy, for that. I'm probably not the best qualified to answer that question, but I'll give your listeners sort of a brief... Um, yeah, something very brief, brief lame, yeah, layman's terms, yeah. Yeah, nothing hectic. Yeah. Yeah, so, well, I think that as as you and your listeners probably know that the, the oxygen is the mainstay of, of therapy and probably the main reason why someone with COVID-19 would be admitted as opposed to um, being sent on. And so it's all really about... Um, various systems um, to deliver the quantity of oxygen or the flow of oxygen that a, that a patient um, may require. So the most simple um, form would be through uh, nasal prongs, just sort of tubes that go into the, the front part of the nose. And um, if by then looking at the oxygen um, concentration or percentage saturation in the blood, if that's not enough, then the next scale up would be um, a mask a face mask of oxygen and there's two um, various types of face masks that we can use. One can deliver um, a higher percentage of oxygen than the other. So again, that could be stepped up. Mm-hmm. And then if, if that's um, not still not enough to produce uh, the, enough oxygen in the blood, then the next step is what's known as high-flow nasal oxygen, which um, is... I guess a relatively newly um, used thing in our COVID response. It was not sort of so commonly used before, um, uh, I guess, the first wave of COVID-19 when it really sort of came into its own and became quite clear that this was a, a, a good way to um, deliver high quantities of oxygen to patients who are not able to manage on face masks. Mm-hmm. And this just looks like a, a, a wider bore um, plastic tube, it's maybe about the, the size of a ballpoint pen that, um, again, just sits in the external part of the nose and delivers really high flows, up to 60 liters a minute of oxygen um, through that tubing to the, to the patient. Mm-hmm. And if that in turn is not enough, then um, we are possibly looking at uh, ICU and, and ventilation where the, where the patient would be uh, anesthetized and a tube put down the uh, trachea and would be artificially ventilated um, using a machine. But that's really for a very small a group of patients um, who need that. And also, of course, the machinery and the staff to do that is also quite limited. So the majority of patients who are admitted will probably be on um, you know, nasal prongs or face mask oxygen. Yes, absolutely. And then a small number of them are the ones that are then ventilated and in ICU. Yes, that's correct. And, and also on the high-flow nasal oxygen, yeah. And I think it's important um, for Afropolitans to know this because, um, you know, people are very afraid of going into hospital. And, um, you know, and I think when we present the stats, it's important for us to prevent to present the, the, the spectrum and say that, you know, yes, a lot of people will be admitted, but very few of them are going to end up in ICU on a ventilator. The majority of them will do well, you know, on face mask oxygen and nasal prongs and, and high-flow oxygen and will come out after a week or so um, and, and improve um, on the outside. Dr. Bali, let's speak about home home remedies um, that people have been using. We know that people are steaming with umklonyane, African wormwood, and with eucalyptus oil. Um, people are taking their vitamins. They're taking high doses of vitamin C. They're taking their zinc. Um, you know, just what else would you would you advise Afropolitans to do if they have very mild symptoms of COVID nineteen and they want to manage everything at home? Cindy, is that for me? 
Yes, it is, Dr. Bali. Sorry, you broke up a little bit. That's why I couldn't. I heard. I would say if you have mild symptoms at home, make sure that you're taking your vitamin C, your vitamin D, your zinc, um, your pronado. That can help very well for your pain, your headaches, and your body pains and your fever. So you continue, and you must eat a balanced diet. Get all your vitamins and in the vitamins and minerals in through that as well. Drink lots of fluids and get, get good ventilation. So make sure that the windows are open, that you're not in a stuffy room the whole day and everything like that. And going outside um, for sunshine, um, taking little walks. Because I had I had a patient who wanted to to jog around her house, and I said, "No, this is the time for you to rest. So you can go outside and sit in the sun and take a little stroll to the gate and come back. But this is not the time for jogging. So, what about people that want to exercise? I would say low intensity exercises. Remember, this is a viral infection. Viral infections can affect your heart. So don't do strenuous exercises. COVID has seen to cause cardiomyopathy. That means it makes the heart go bigger. It can cause heart attacks. So you don't want to go be running a five kilometer or cycle while you have COVID. You need to relax. You need to give your body time to relax. So for those, while you're having symptoms and for those days that you're in isolation, stay at home. You can do stretches in the house, do yoga in the house or walk around in your garden, but no strenuous exercise. And in terms of children, um, Dr. Bali, we know that with the second, um, you know, wave of COVID-19, um, you know, there've, there've been more teenagers presenting with COVID-19. What about children? Um, you know, the, the below six years, below five years. In your practice, are you still, are you seeing children with COVID-19? Um, Cindy, I've only seen one child with COVID-19 under the age of six, and it was a, um, eight, an eight-month-old baby boy that came in with a cough and sneezing. That was it, and he did very well. He did. He responded well to just um, something for the cough, and we gave him something for the sneezing, and just gave him some an, an anti um, an over the counter antiviral medication. And he did very well, no complications or anything like that. So even though this in the second wave, children are affected, but they're not as much as our adults. Oh eight six double zero double zero nine five nine Afropolitans. We have time for one more call. Um, as I continue my conversation um, with Dr. Shandre Bali and Dr. Colin Faf, who are both um, medical doctors on the ground working with COVID nineteen and just on the show to update us on what's happening with COVID nineteen in South Africa. They've given us some great information. So if you have missed the show, please make sure that you catch the podcast on Kai FM's website. You go to FM Rewind, and the podcast will be uploaded in the next um, day or two. Um, Dr. Colin, coming back to you. Um, so you you know the, the response now um you know we're in the second wave and and you're focusing on on a few more provinces than what you did with the first wave um the challenges of 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 helping you know different provinces obviously uh, you know will be having to spread yourselves thin so do you have enough people um to 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 help everyone or are you still recruiting doctors for this work I was hoping you were going to ask that question, Cindy. You must have read my mind. Uh, no, we are very actively recruiting, especially for KwaZulu-Natal at the moment. We do not have enough people yet for the response in KwaZulu-Natal. And I don't know whether I could give out a uh, phone number of our HR manager if there are any doctors or professional nurses on the call. Please do, I'll, I'll, and I'll post it. Help. I'll post it on my social media pages as well. So please do give it out. Thank you. So they can speak to Brett, and the number is 066-056-5600. Yes. Yes. Okay. So KZN is 066-056-5640. Yeah. Yes, so we are looking at working in supporting the King Kachwaya district in KZN, 
Um, there's a field hospital in Mpangeni that we are recruiting for. So any um, doctors and nurses who would be willing for a four-week contract or possibly longer, six, eight-week contract um, with us that would be seconded directly to work in COVID wards in that hospital. We're also looking to support in uh, Eshawi and at Bungalwani, all in the Eshawi area. We would be extremely grateful for that, those contacts. And the training, um, whatever training is needed, will be provided by Doctors Without Borders. Yes, there, there are senior clinicians on site, um, protocols in place, PPE, all of that stuff is there. As you know, we, um, you know, we've been active and actively involved in this for, for seven months now. So I think we do have quite a bit of expertise within ourselves. So yes, we, I think we can quite confidently assure any people, um, interested that they would have a good support, um, both with supplies and also with training, with um, with knowledge, expertise. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Colin, for being on the show. Um, we appreciate the work that you do. And as I said, um, you know, I have a soft spot for you because of the work that you did with PMTCT, and that's something that's very close to my heart. Um, and that's and that's what I mostly do when I work with the work that I do in HIV. So all the best with that, and I'll make sure that I do post, um, and hopefully you'll get more doctors and nurses to come in and help you um, with the COVID-19 response in KwaZulu-Natal. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much and lovely to speak to you. Thank you. So, Dr. Bali, we're going to round off the show with you. And um, I think, um, you know, what I really want from you is um, just, uh, you know, I want to ask you two more questions um, and then, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll wrap up the show. I think the first thing I want to ask, Chandra, is, you know, for people who are still not taking the virus um, seriously, um, you know, what, what is your message for people who are still, oh, I'm not too sure about this. It's just a flu. We'll be fine. Let's all get it and, and get herd immunity. There's so much stuff going around. What, what do you, what do you have to say to people like that? I think, I, personally, I think we cannot wait for herd immunity. Um, in, like, we must all wait for us to get the virus naturally. If we wanted to get herd immunity, we must go, go through vaccines, which is hopefully coming out in January. Um, you must understand that doctors are nervous wrecks right now. They are anxious. Healthcare workers are anxious. They're tired. They're scared and they emotionally wiped out. So we need this country to play together. I always look, I look at COVID, the people refer to it as a war, I refer to it as a soccer game. So in soccer, you have the strikers, the midfield, the defense, and the doctors and the healthcare professionals are the goalkeeper. And right now, there are balls coming at it from every angle and we're not coping. So we are getting, the goals are coming through and we're trying to save every goal, but we're not able to. But we need the, the public, who are the strikers, the midfielders and the defense, to play together. And, and, and how to play together is that is to wear your mask properly, make it cover your nose and mouth, hand wash, wash your hands, sanitize, and physically distance. Don't, if you're not a family member, don't go to the funeral. That is my second message, because we are struggling. We are not coping, but we have hope that we will get through this, but we need your help. We want to win this soccer game. Help us win it. And a last message for anyone that may be COVID positive, what, what encouraging words do you have for them? We go, you're going to get through this. Um, and I think we will, you will get through this. I know it's horrible having the disease. I haven't had it personally from what I hear from my patients. It's not nice. What I do say is to look out for the warning signs. If you have difficulty breathing, chest pain, coughing up blood, confused, you're sleeping too much or your lips are turning blue, go to hospital immediately. But you will get through this. Thank you so much, Dr. Bali. Always a pleasure talking to you. Um, and thank you for joining us on the show. 
Thank you very much, Cindy. And I just want to thank all frontline healthcare workers, the goalkeepers right now, whether you're a cleaner, a porter, or an admin staff, or a doctor or nurse. Thank you for doing your bit. And that's a wonderful way to end up the show, Afropolitans. Thank you so much to all the frontline healthcare workers on the ground, making sure that we continue to curb the spread of COVID-19. And they're also helping everyone that's currently, um, you know, living with COVID-19. I'll be back, Afropolitans, tomorrow at 7 p.m. Do not miss the President's report and address at 8 p.m.